0: John chapter 6. We're continuing our study of this gospel. We've been working our way through it for several months now, and I want to remind you, as you're opening to John 6, I want to remind you from the end of the gospel of John what John himself says about why he recorded this book. He said, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. That, that is John's main purpose in recording all that he's recorded here in the Gospel of John. And here we are in chapter 6. And we've spent several weeks now in this section looking at Jesus as the bread of life. Jesus as the true substance. What we need the most. What we need more than anything in this material world. What we need more than material things, riches, all that money can buy, what we need even more than our natural provisions of actual food, what we need even more than our food. Jesus says, you need me. I'm the bread of life. He is everything to us. And so we continue on in our study, and he declared himself to be the bread of life in the context in which he actually fed thousands and thousands of people with bread, but then Then basically ceased, he no longer fed them with physical bread, and he just kept saying, I'm your life, I'm your bread. And that's the section we're concluding this morning, the end of chapter 6. David read it earlier, so we're going to just walk through kind of section by section. And what we're going to see here, beginning in verse 59, is we're going to see this idea of betrayal and the idea of belief. Kind of a contrast between betrayal and belief. And that's where the passage takes us. It really takes us from betrayal to belief and back to betrayal because it ends with Judas, as we'll see. But it's betrayal, belief to betrayal, and that will allow us to really highlight and magnify the glory of Jesus, how unique he is, how amazing he is, and I think we'll be encouraged by it. Okay, verse 59, it said, These things, and that is the things regarding himself being the bread of life, these things Jesus said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. In verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Well, observe with me here. First of all, they're in... They're in the synagogue. They're in the religious place. So these are people who are interested in God. They've been following Jesus. They're called here disciples. So they've been following him. The word disciple means learner. They've been learning from him. But when he talked about himself as the bread of life, when he preached, I am all you need. I am your bread. You must, in fact, he even said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Something that we admitted sounds strange. But the idea was, if you don't take me in, you cannot live spiritually speaking that's the idea and here they say that is a difficult statement i know a lot of you use the esv here and the esv it's translated hard that is a hard statement meaning that sounds harsh i mean literally that's what it has the idea of it it sounds harsh to say i'm all you need i mean nothing else i mean what about all our traditions what about all our rituals what about all the things that are important to us in life none of that really that's what he was saying He's saying it's really all in me. Life is in me. That's what you need. And they found it difficult. Uh, It turns out the bread of life, let's put it this way, the bread of life is hard to swallow sometimes. And they found it to be that way. Notice verse 61 now. Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? He's saying, "Is is this shocking to you? He knows, of course, that it is. What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? Remember, He called Himself the bread of heaven. What if I go back to heaven? Verse 63. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Jesus is saying, hey, this is completely different than anything else you've ever heard before in any other setting. If you haven't Heard from God clearly. You haven't heard this because this only comes from God. And here's what God says. You need me more than anything or anyone. You need me. And he says these are spiritual words and they are life. And I could, basically he's saying here, the flesh profits nothing. Look, I could have stacked real literal bread from here to the highest heaven and it would be of no value to you. In the end, it really wouldn't help you. It's really not what you need the most. Do they need physical bread to survive? Do they need actual water to survive? Yes. But more than that, they need him because he is the source of eternal life. And as we've said over and over again, physical life in this fallen world is temporal and fragile and fleeting. And yes, we eat and yes, we drink. But someday we'll have our last meal and our last drink and we will perish. And at that point, none of that other stuff is going to matter at all. What will matter is only one thing, who Christ is and whether or not we have a relationship with him by faith. That's all that's going to matter at that point. And so he says, I'm, I'm life. He, he would be lying to them if he said otherwise. Remember, it offended them because he, he had given them so much bread and then he turned the spigot off and they're like, wait, what's, wait? we need that. What about the bread? And, and he was offensive, but it was really because he loved them. And he was appealing to them, appealing to their spiritual appetite, appealing to their soul, saying, you need me. And look what it says next in verse 64, but there are some, some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And here's the first occurrence of the word betray. This is where we get this idea of betrayal and belief. It starts with betrayal. He knew who would betray him who didn't believe. And it says he knew from the beginning, the whole time. I mean, think about this. The whole time he was with them. Remember, they're called disciples, so they're, they're hanging around with him. They look like learners. They look like they're interested. They look like they're loyal to him. But he knew all along that many of them would betray him and didn't really believe. As I've told you before, I've spent countless hours, probably... I mean, maybe in the thousands of hours counseling in the last 20 years. I've talked to lots of people. And, and one of the most difficult things people have talked to me about in my office is betrayal. There's almost nothing more hurtful, like, emotionally and relationally than betrayal. Because betrayal, like, it requires that you've, you've had some kind of relationship, you've invested in that relationship, and now that person's turned on you. I've had... A husband or a wife tell me they felt betrayed. It could be a small thing. It could be a wife saying, I've been betrayed because my husband continues to say and do things that he knows hurt my feelings, but he does it over and over and over again. Betrayal on that sort of small scale. I've heard, of course, the large scale stuff. My husband ran off with my best friend. Betrayal. It is a common occurrence in this world. Uh, I've heard it from uh, parents feeling betrayed by their children. We've invested in them. We've given everything to them. We've provided everything for a good, upstanding, successful future, and they've thrown it all away. Betrayal. I've heard it from friends. Small-scale things. Well, they went out and did something fun, and they excluded me. Haven't we all been there? (laughs) Large-scale things. uh, My friends have all turned their back on me. In fact, they, they say I'm not even their friend anymore church relationships, brothers and sisters in Christ, even small scale, they talked about you instead of talking to you about something. Or large scale, you know what? They they split the church over something it never should have been split over. I mean, I've heard so many stories and I've lived my own story. And in each one of our stories, we have both been victimized by betrayal and, ready for this, this is the harder pill to swallow, and we've victimized others by betrayal. To some degree. That is the world we live in. That is our condition naturally speaking. And we know it's true. And we've lived it. And experienced it. Betrayal. It's a horrible part of life in this fallen sinful world. And we're all guilty of it. And we've all been damaged by it. Across the board. As I said it, it, it it demands something that's so painful about it. One of the reasons that it's so difficult is because it demands... It requires a prior relationship. And, and I, and I uh, this is fascinating. I've heard many times people say to me, and, and I've felt this way, and probably you felt this way. When you've been betrayed, man, if I would have known this person was going to do that to me, I never would have invested the time, the energy, the resources, the money, the friendship. The, I never would have done it. You ever felt that way? I, I bet you have. In my office many times. If I would have known that he or she or they would have turned on me, I mean, I never would have been so foolish as to give myself to that person. Jesus knew. He knew. It says in John chapter one, he came to his own, and his own received him not. He he was under no delusions. (laughs) He he didn't. He wasn't. oblivious or naive. He knew exactly the context into which he was sending himself in which the Father was sending him. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew this was going to play out this way. And he went, and he should say he came anyway. He continued offering himself to people anyway. Including to this crowd of people that he was ministering to and doing miracles for and teaching and spending time with and pouring himself out for. He knew they would betray him and he did it anyway. He knew they they couldn't grasp or understand or appreciate his worth. Verse 65, it's why he says, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted from the Father. It's it's a miracle. It's only a miracle if someone can see that Jesus is enough. That that as one put it, well, as many actually have put it this way, technically, many have put it this way: Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The idea the truth that we need nothing else but God, that he is everything of true substance, everything we need, naturally, he provides everything for us, and spiritually speaking, he's everything we need for any sense of security of soul, for satisfaction of soul, for significance of soul, for hope of the soul, for Every, I mean, He is everything. So that if, or better, when He takes the stuff of this world away, the stuff of our families, the stuff of our physical capabilities, sometimes the stuff of even our church experience, the stuff of our jobs, the stuff of our beauty, the stuff of our bank account, whatever the stuff, all of it at some point, when he takes it away, you still have everything. Everything. That's an amazing proclamation. It's hard to believe if we're honest. But that's what he's saying. And he says, it takes a miracle. Only the Father can open your eyes to see my value. Can show you that when you look within, there's just this empty chasm, this just vacuum of nothingness that needs life, and it can only come from Him. And he says, I'm it. And many, many people that day bailed at that point. Verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Betrayal. It's a horrible thing. The most horrible version of it is happening all the time, and that's human betrayal toward our Creator. And yet, as we see in Jesus here, he has continued offering himself and will continue offering himself through Christ. He offers life. He offers his love. He offers his forgiveness. He offers reconciliation. He offers everything to those who deserve nothing. (laughs) Who in sin forfeited God himself and everything that goes along with God and yet through grace he gives himself and everything back. It's truly amazing. Well, many of these withdrew they went away but we see here this is awesome in verse 67 so jesus said to the 12 you do not want to go away also do you you guys going to leave too just a few just a small fraction of that huge crowd and simon peter answered him lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of god Jesus says, there's nowhere else we can go. You have the words of life. You're the one we need. We just finished singing it. And that song, Show Us Christ, and it was over and over repeated. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's the heart cry of true belief. It says, I I look around. I look within myself. I look around at this world. I look at other people. I look at other things. I I just know they can't save me. That only my creator can save me. You're the only hope we've got, Jesus. You're all we've got. And it has been said, you never really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And he's all we have of substance. And he says, we believe, we believe that you're the holy one of God, the different one, the set apart one, the the best one, the highest one, And that you have the words of eternal life. Notice now uh, in verse 70, it goes to the most obvious and the most notorious uh, betrayer of human history, Judas Iscariot. It says, Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. As I said, this is is the most well-known betrayer of all of human history. Very few, there probably are some out there, but very few people name their children, their son, Judas. (laughs) There's a reason for that. Notorious. Infamous. Judas Iscariot. This is predicting what we're going to read about as we study through the Gospel of John. We'll see more and more. This is sort of foreshadowing of what's to come with Judas and his betrayal. that takes place right there at the end of Jesus' earthly life. And you know the story well. But I wonder if you've thought of how Christ continued to offer himself even to Judas. Says, I've chosen you, the twelve. He chose Judas. And remember, we read earlier, he knew who would betray him, including Judas. He knew that. And he chose him anyway. And he continued to serve him and minister to him. And in John chapter 13, when Jesus stoops down and washes the disciples' feet, you know who is there with him? Judas is there with him. I mean, think about that. With full knowledge of what's going to happen. And Even when Judas comes into the garden a little bit later with the soldiers, ready to turn him over, and Judas greets him with a kiss. Remember that? And Jesus greets him and says, friend, do what you're going to do quickly. He calls him friend. From the direction of God to Judas, there's still the extension of friendship, and service, and love, and Judas betrays him. And you know the rest, and how he'll go on to take his own life because of his remorse, but a remorse that is a self-atoning remorse. He will not turn to Christ for salvation, but instead... Turns, toward, turns inward with that guilt and that shame and that emptiness and that anger and he destroys himself. That's Judas. So the passage goes from betrayal to belief to betrayal. And I want to tell you um, something to bring this really, really close to home and minister gospel grace to us this morning. And I'm going to begin doing that with this little story. So years ago, we went with friends to a theme park in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is a beautiful part of the country out there. We went to this theme park called Silverwood. It's kind of like um, Six Flags New England here, it's, you know, small, around that size. and Some of you have been there, familiar with it, uh, what used to be uh, God Rested Soul, Rocky Point, uh, the near and dear. It's no longer with us here in Rhode Island. Um, kind of like that size, okay? A lot of fun rides and things and shows and all that. So we're having a great time with our friends and there was this awesome magic show we had heard about, people were raving about. And so we went to to attend the magic show and we're outside standing in line and people are starting to, as it's getting close to starting time, allowing people in, allowing people in, allowing people in, and all of a sudden they shut the door. And I'm like, that's weird. And so we're standing there waiting and we hadn't heard anything a few minutes go by and then all of a sudden one one of the supervisors comes out and, and addresses us and says, hey, I'm really sorry, but we've got we to cap the audience at this number. There's a certain reason for it. We can't have any more than this number, so really sorry. And there's no more magic shows today, but if you come back tomorrow, you, know, you can catch the one tomorrow. But well, we weren't going to be there the next day. And so everyone was disappointed. And as we're all sitting there thinking, well, okay, what are we going to do now? What are we? And you know, we know a, a little disappointed because we had heard good things about it. And just then we heard this outcry of rage. Like full-scale meltdown, screaming, crying, yelling, and we're looking around and we see, and I see this little little boy who's probably about I don't know, ten years old, eleven years old, and he's walking, and I think his mom is walking with him, and he is just, you know, the word apoplectic. He is, I love that word. He is angry and raging, and he is just, he just cannot believe this has happened. And he's wearing this bright green, kind of fluorescent green t-shirt I will never forget with big letters and big words that says this, ready? I will trust my God always. (laughs) Now, I tell you that story not to throw that little 10-year-old boy under the bus but to say the irony was not lost on me that day. Kind of a a commentary on what all of us can be like at times. There's a temptation We we read a passage like this to say, wow, this is, this is amazing. First of all, hope it's clear how awesome Jesus is. And then say, well, we, okay, I want to be awesome like Peter was because Peter believed the right things. And Peter was dedicated to Jesus. And, and by golly, I'm going to be like Peter. But let me remind you that the same Peter... Not many chapters later in John's Gospel will say to Jesus, hey, you're not going to die. In fact, I will go with you to the end, and if that happens, I'll go with you to death. I'll lay my life down for you. Remember that? And Jesus says, oh, really? You'll lay your life down for me? We'll see. He says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then you go to John chapter 18. As Jesus is in his darkest hour, he is in the hands of his enemies preparing to be executed. And over and over again, people ask Peter about Jesus and he insists, I don't know him. And he curses and he swears. I don't know the man, I don't know the man, I don't know the man, leave me alone. And just then he hears that sound. The rooster. And you know the story and how When Jesus is walking along at one point right after that, not long after, Peter is there kind of mingling around, watching, and Jesus looks over at him and as their eyes meet, what happens to Peter? He crumbles inside with remorse. Sadness because he realizes that he had denied his Lord. So to bring this really close to home this morning, I want to submit to you this idea. That in a very real sense, there's a fine line between betrayal and belief. There's a very real sense in which belief begins by us saying, I have a heart of betrayal toward my Creator, but He has a heart of love and redemption toward me. And that is my hope. My hope is not in saying, I would never do that to Him. My hope is in the fact that He says to me, I would never do that to you. He knew. He knew how his people would treat him. He knew his closest followers would abandon him. Remember? It says, strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And that's exactly what happened. Self-preservation kicks in. Oftentimes our own greed kicks in. Our version of what I was going through the heart and mind of that 10-year-old boy kicks in. And it's like, I must get my way. And in that moment, denying Christ who says, I'm the bread of life. You don't need anything or anyone else. So now is it familiar? You've been there, done that? Pretty frequently? Yeah, me too. And God loves you anyway. Let that sink in. God loves you anyway. He died for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At enmity with God, not because he made himself our enemy, but because we made him our enemy. Ever since the garden, the heart of man has been a heart of betrayal. I will be like God. I will have it my way. And so belief, a big part of it, is this recognition, it's clarity regarding the truth. It's the humility to say, yes, within my natural fallen heart, there is a heart which would betray its Creator for its, to its own destruction. <laughs> and even that God has provided for. He has forgiven me. We understand that it's not our lives laid down for Him. That's not the source of hope. It's His life laid down for us. So we look outside of ourselves. And unlike Judas who turned inward and tried to self-atone and took his own life, we do look with Peter with true repentance. True remorse and brokenness over our sin over our betrayal of our God toward other people, how selfish we can be, how monstrous we can be, and we say to God, God, I am sorry, but thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for providing all that I need through Christ. Thank you that you've taken such good care of me. Thank you that while once your enemy, I'm now seated at your table. We're about to sing the song, Jesus, Thank You, in a moment when the worship team comes back up, and there's that line in the song, and I hope as we sing it this morning, you can think about that. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. I believe that's a reference, and this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll close in prayer. I believe that's a reference to the story about the name Mephibosheth. If you remember, Saul, of course, hated David, but he was the rightful heir to the throne, and David became king. And after Saul and all his um, efforts against David, David is there enthroned. And in an odd sort of way, at one point, David says, Are there any relatives of Saul left? And he hears about a, a crippled man named Mephibosheth. And uh, do you know what was customary for kings to do of any like, next of kin or relatives of their enemies? You know what they would do? customarily, they would execute them. Well, David heard of Mephibosheth and he said, go get him and bring him to my courts. He's going to sit and he's going to eat with me and we're going to take care of him. A little picture, because you know who's Mephibosheth? You and me. On the enemy side of the equation, and God says, you're seated at my table. That's the kind of love I have for you. That's the kind of love that gives you life That's the kind of love that is the only source of contentment and peace and joy. That's the kind of love that's going to take care of you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's the kind of love you have from your God in Jesus. I hope that's encouraging to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a passage like John chapter 6 where we see this contrast between betrayal and belief. And where, as you help us to think deeply, where we realize there's some sense, there's a fine line between them. Because true belief begins with an admission of our betrayal. That we've betrayed you. That we continue to betray you. And that if we're up to us, if we were left to ourselves and our own devices, we would choose death. We would choose our own way every time. But through your Spirit, you have drawn us to Christ. You've opened our eyes to see the infinite riches he offers us in relationship with himself and with you. In restoration, in our restored relationship with you, all of grace, not of merit, not of good that we have done. All of grace. We are undeserving. Lord, we're amazed that that we have fellowship with you now that we can enjoy, we get taste of this fellowship, and in the end, in the, the future, in glory, we'll know nothing but fellowship with you, nothing but love, nothing but harmony with you and with one another forever, no more betrayal. We long for that day, we wait for that day, and we thank you that we get to participate because of what you've done through Jesus Father, we love you in return, and we praise you in his name we pray. Amen.